Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and happy Wednesday to you. Today is our first Everyone Wednesday of 2023. This is, you know, the first week, so everything's got a first attached to it. But we have a couple of opportunities for you to win a couple of books. And uh, the, the first one we're giving away today is one that is a... A uh, conversation that I think a lot of people are having more and more with regard to why is it that life has gotten so challenging? Why is it that life has gotten so difficult? Is it because I'm trying to do too much and not spending enough time just trying to chill out and relax? And, well, do I really need to do this? Uh, Sister Joan Chittister, Dr. Chittister, is the author of over 50 books, and she has written a book about what she calls the monastic heart. Uh, This is taking and putting into practice 50 simple practices for a contemplative and fulfilling life. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. She's going to join me here in a moment to talk about it. But since this is kind of a different Everyone Wednesday where we've got a couple of different resources, I have three copies of this book to give away. And before we actually even get started here, I'm going to open up the phone lines, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 the number to get through to the bottom line. This book is a perfect devotional for this time of year. It's a perfect opportunity for us who are in need to kind of start the year on maybe a slightly slower gear and really spend more time in contemplation of your faith, uh, in spending quiet time on a whole different level with the Lord. This is a great resource. It's called The Monastic Heart, 50 Simple Practices for a Contemplative and Fulfilling Life. And because you are tuned in to the very beginning of the program today, you get first tips. We've got three books, copies of this book to give away. 800-227-5278-800-227-5278-800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. And now let's revisit my conversation with Sister Joan Chittister here on today's edition of The Bottom Line. You know, it's so interesting to think about how many people are looking for fulfillment in life. They're looking for purpose. They're looking for their life to have meaning and value, especially people in the millennial generation. And we have to ask the question, well, as Christians, shouldn't we be able to find this a lot more easily than we actually do? Joining me today on the program is Sister Joan Chittister. She is the author of a brand new book that I, well, it's been out for a little while, but it's new to me, that I think is really helpful, especially for this time of year as people are making their New Year's resolutions and saying, I really need to do something differently in my quiet time, in my Bible study, in my walk with the Lord. Her book is called The Monastic Heart, 50 Simple Practices for a a Contemplative and Fulfilling Life. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Sister Joan Chittister, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Uh, thank you, Pastor uh, Roger. It's it's wonderful to be here with you, and and the number of people that you are bringing to reflection. I think yeah. I, I I really believe it's being willing to look at at the way our spiritual life goes together for its consistency and its um, uh, authenticity. That is what makes the spiritual person in the end. I love that. I love that sentiment. Sister Joan Chittister is internationally known as a writer and lecturer. She is the executive director of Bennett Vision, which is a uh, resource and research center for contemporary spirituality in Erie, Pennsylvania. Uh, She has served as president of the Leadership Conference of Women Religious and of the Conference of American Benedictine Priorises and uh, received uh, numerous awards, has written 60 books, and even received a doctorate from Penn State University in speech communications theory. So you've really put a lot of thought, obviously, not only 
only into your spiritual life, but how to communicate that with other people as well. Talk about the, the monastic heart. I mean, it's easy for us to say, well, obviously, Sister Joan, you're, that's not, it's kind of part and parcel with who you are. But you're talking to a lot of people who are saying, I, I, I want to know what that means. Does it mean I have to become a monk? Does it mean I have to isolate yeah, myself? Yeah. What, what do you yeah. mean by that term? Well, actually, at the beginning of this um, period of writing, uh, Pastor, I, I myself really at first wasn't driven by it. I've, I've written a great deal about the spirituality, the spiritual life, the Benedictine tradition, as, as you've already indicated. Thank you. But at the same time, uh, I, I was equally concerned about human development at its best and its most moral and its its soundest. So I, I wasn't selling anything. I wasn't mm-hmm. selling monasticism. I wasn't selling the Benedictine tradition. I was simply getting more and more involved in how does a person, as you said at the beginning, begin to imagine for themselves be, uh, a, a spiritual life that has a sense of fullness in it rather than emptiness, rather than the continuing nagging notion, I should be doing more, I should mm-hmm. be doing more, uh, and I, I'm, I'm a fraud, or I, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm a regular churchgoer, but frankly, I don't give much thought to the spiritual life. Then COVID came along, and mm-hmm. I began to see the institutions that have been the major purveyors of the spiritual life for all of us in every denomination, begin to close, begin to get smaller, begin to meet less, begin to close down the conferences, begin to separate people physically. And I said to myself, now what do you do, John? They're all out there alone. We have all been a a country of, of 350 million We have managed overnight with one little virus to separate not just from one another, but from our very roots and foundations. And so I I began to to struggle with what I myself should be doing to fill this terrible, empty gap. And I realized that in the middle of this global calamity— Society was becoming more and more frail. Mm -hmm. We knew we had to endure it. There's no way out but through. Mm -hmm. But how would we do that? And what certainty did we have to help us along? So I was actually, Pastor, looking uh, for a way out of the emptiness and the sense of loss. I was looking for how we can, how, how can I say to anybody, Here's a way to not just sustain your spiritual life, but even deepen it during this period. What internal resources can we rely on now to nourish our tenacity? And how shall we cultivate the spiritual part of what wears us down and and come to realize that exactly what wears us down is what builds us up, too. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so... I I said to myself, where will you go, Joan, to give something to somebody? And I decided to go to the wisdom of the past, something that had lasted for over 1,500 years. Somebody should ask the question, how is that possible? But that's exactly 
how old and how long the Benedictine tradition has been. Over mm-hmm. 1,500 years, yes. still working on one tiny little rule, never changed a word of it. And we and, and so were the people who know that we need the things that last. Only the things that last will bring us the depth and the stolidity of soul and the values we need. And so the answer to your question, I had to begin to describe the monastic heart in a way that has nothing to do with monasteries. Mm. That mm-hmm. every one of your listeners can say, that's me. That's I. Yes. I'm, I'm yes. that person. I, yeah. I, I've been looking for something. And so I asked myself the question you were just good enough to ask me, what does make a monastic heart? And I, I put it down to uh, five or six things. It's driven by the spirit of tradition. Whatever your tradition is, the Lutheran tradition is a strong and mighty and well-grounded um, history of, of spiritual development. It's driven, monastic heart, by the spirit of community as well. And Martin Luther knew all about that. He built it right in to, to the tradition itself, as, as, as many other spiritual leaders have also done under another name. I said monasticism is also driven by a spirit of reflection. We don't just run by the rules. We're not about the regulations. We're about the people. We're about the principles of yes. life. I said, monasticism is driven by the spirit of personal growth and development. Nobody goes to a monastery, or if they do, can possibly abide it and stay there if it does not also develop them personally. So we're not leaving the person out here. On the contrary, the monastic heart should build you stronger, better, happier. Mm -hmm. The monastic heart is also driven then by a spirit of service. It does not exist for its own sake. It exists with uh, the doors of the heart open so that when a person comes to talk, somebody is there to listen. And Mm -hmm. finally, obviously, monasticism is driven by a spirit of transcendence. We are not we are not a secularized institution. We live in two worlds, this one and the one of the spirit. So it's all there. Tradition, community, reflection, personal growth, service, and transcendence. And to lay that out for people, I decided that I will look at the monastic life as we live it in my monastery and in monasteries around the globe on the basis of that little rule. And I would say, what are the kinds of things that we use in the monastery to keep us close to that spirit at all levels, reflection, growth, community, service? transcendence. And out of that came this notion of 50 practices. It's very simple, uh, Pastor Roger. It's, it's so simple, 
it's almost impossible to explain. Yeah, I was going to say, but at the same time, <laughs> just because something is simple doesn't necessarily make it easy. And we're going to take a quick break. No, and on the other side of this break, we're not going to be able to get through all 50 of them in 10 minutes, but we're going to do our best. Uh, Sister Joan Chittister is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. This fascinating new book, which is perfect for this time of year as you're getting ready to kind of do a reset of your goals, of your life focus, of your spiritual development. The book is called The Monastic Heart. 50 Simple Practices for a Contemplative or Contemplative, if you will, and a Fulfilling Life. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of my conversation with Sister Joan in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Delightful conversation today here on The Bottom Line Show with Sister Joan Chittister. I'm Roger Marsh, and we are so grateful to have this dialogue about her new book called The Monastic Heart, 50 Simple Practices for a Contemplative and Fulfilling Life. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Yes, they are based on the life of St. Benedict. These are principles that go back to the 6th century. And I love the way you describe it in the uh, in the liner notes, Joan, about the, the idea that this is something... Uh, for each of us, the idea that Benedict was live, trying to live a life of moral integrity in the face of an empire. He didn't want to conquer, didn't want to overpower anybody or anything like that. He really just wanted to live, as you put it, an ordinary life extraordinarily well. And I, I, I think that is such a, a helpful guide for us. There are 50 of these, pra- these practices that you outline in the book, and we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Help us walk through a couple of them just to kind of get an idea of what you're, where you're going with this. Okay, they're, they're simple and and they're and they're quick and they're and they're common. So let's look at that. Chapter one's about bells. Uh, every monastery you have ever seen in your life has mm-hmm. a bell sitting on the top of it, and when you walk in, they're ringing that bell regularly five times a day. Why? The function of the bell is not to enable uh, monastics to tell time. We can do that. <laughs> it is to stop us. The way we're spending our time, three or four or five times a day, to say to us, uh, uh, you, have to, you have to remember, Joan, God created the world, but God did not complete it. God left that to us. That's what the bell is telling you. Center yourself, Joan, on what is important in life. Don't get so caught up in this project that you forget that the project is about completing the world that God created. Or we have a practice in a monastery called statio. That's a Latin word. You can recognize it. It says station. Mm -hmm. And it says, in essence, be where you are. Now, most of us in American culture come racing into the house at about five to five, throw our briefcase down, uh, grab the, the, the handle to hang our coat on, slide into chapel just as somebody saying the name of the Father and the Son, Mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit. No, no, you don't if you're a monastic. When I was a kid, I was 16, I said to the novice ministers, what what time are we supposed to be in church? He said, prayers at 5 o'clock. You're to be there at 5 to 5. Pardon me? What did you say? She said, prayers at 5 o'clock. You're to be there at 5 to 5. I said to her sister, what, what time is prayer? Is it at 5 or is it 5 to 5? She said, Joan, it's at 5, and you're to be there at 5 to 5 for statio. What's that mean? It means get it together. Mm. Leave where you just were, Joan, the interesting mm-hmm. meeting, the exciting video, the nice conversation with Pastor Roger and all of his people. 
Get out of that. Sit here now. Collect your mind and your heart. Concentrate on what we're doing next. And what we're doing next is centering ourselves in the heart of God. That's Stasio. Or how about uh, the Herarian? We divide our lives. Everybody does. But we, we run them the same way every single day of our life. Right. We have time for prayer time for private reflection, time to do our work, time to quit our work and do some spiritual reading, time to sit down with the community and be free. That means that our life is divided into little packages or packets of time that enable us to live all of it in the consciousness of the presence of God. Or finally, silence. Uh, is very important to a monastic. It uh, Our silence throws us inside ourselves instead of out into this noisy, rampant, rambling, thumping world. And in the, in the quietness, not necessarily of the chap, of the, uh, of the swing on the back porch, mm-hmm. I just quiet myself. And then I begin to hear the world around me. And I begin to hear the consciousness of God in me, and I begin to to hear God talking to me as I seek God. And finally, a major, major practice for a monastic is hospitality. Your door is always open. You are open to the world. You are into a position of civilization-making. You include everybody You allow everybody to be peaceful where you are, including, quote, those who are not like us. So that means that it eliminates racism, sexism, uh, religious prejudices, and allows us to be open to this world that God created and expects us to complete. It's a fascinating look at the monastic life and how it can impact each of us as the body of Christ. Written by Sister Joan Chittister today on the bottom line, my guest, that we're talking about the monastic heart, the book called The Monastic Heart, 50 Simple Practices for Contemplative and Fulfilling Life. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Sister Joan, as you were talking about the bells and the stasio and the, and the horarium and the, and the silence, I think about, you know, and, and the hospitality too. And as an introvert, I'll tell you, hospitality is the one I really struggle with. You're like, wow, you're a pastor and you have a hard time with hospitality. Come on, man, read the scriptures. Oh, I love you, you're honest, man. <laughs> well, you know, I just, I, I have to be that way. Um, but, but at the same time, though, I appreciate the fact, it seems like everything that you were just describing there kind of gives us the legs to, to live out Romans 12:18. you know, where Paul says, as much as it pertains to you, live peaceably with all people. I think so many people focus on the peace part and forgetting, hey, wait a minute, not everybody's going to want to live peaceably with us. I mean, we're, we're, we're kind of uh, aliens here in this, in this world. But you've given us a recipe for saying, okay, well, but this, don't worry about them. This is how we are called to live. Talk about how the monastic heart really isn't so much about going off into a physical place, though that is a part of it. You mentioned the swing or the, the, the quiet place, but it's really a matter of saying, I want my heart to be so devoted to God and to his service that I'm going to keep it basically that way. I mean, it, it's going to be monastic. It's going to be so singularly focused that people will be uh, drawn to the evidence of the Holy Spirit in my heart. Uh, 
Pastor Roger, it can't be said better than what you have just said. That's the entire, that's the rhythm of the life. To remember that every part of it, as different as it is, is a call from God to live a godly life. And that God is present within us and around us and in the other and around them and in nature and in whatever is to come. And it will be, we have a, a promise in this life that whatever happened to, happens hereafter will be equally sound and equally good. So this, this identification of every type of work, every type of moment with the presence of God in our life is a spiritual foundation that's made of pure cement. Hmm. Rock solid never going to move and especially for us here in southern california when we talk about the shifting sands and building on that solid foundation or not uh in earthquake country you really appreciate a solid foundation but uh, i'm that's so grateful right. for this this conversation and the fact that god spoke to your heart sister joan to to put this monastic heart principles uh, put these together in one book form that our listeners can benefit from the book is called the monastic heart 50 simple practices for a contemplative and fulfilling life by sister joan Joan Chittister. I should say Dr. Sister Joan Chittister. I, I, I want to make sure that uh, our listeners are well yeah. aware of how much time and education has gone into her ministry uh, to make this uh, book a reality. We're so grateful for the time to have this conversation. Um, the book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Sister Joan, thank you so much for uh, visiting with us today, for sharing with us today, and giving us so much food for thought as to how to develop the monastic heart in our own walk with the Lord. God bless you, Pastor. You're doing great work. What a great conversation. What a delightful woman. Sister Joan Chittister, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, the book called The Monastic Heart, 50 Simple Practices for a Contemplative and Fulfilling Life or a Contemplative and Fulfilling Life. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's Everyone Wednesday, and we have three copies of Sister Joan's book to give away, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, Joan Chittister is the author of the book, The Monastic Heart, 50 Simple Practices for a Contemplative or Contemplative and Fulfilling Life. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. As we continue, I want to talk about a couple of these practices that you can start putting into practice right now with regard to how to really have a richer and deeper uh, fulfillment in your relationship with the Lord. We'll talk about that coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Well, Dennis Wilson is with me today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, 800-696-9970 or go to wilson-financial.com. There are a lot of people who have been really taking a bath when it comes to stocks this year, stock market off 25% in some segments, but yet you have a new program that's really designed to help somebody in that situation earn some of that loss back. It's obviously designed to do exactly that. It's a very limited offer on a 16% guaranteed return on your account in an account that in the next two years can never go down. It is a great vehicle to help people who have lost money because of the way the market is. But there is a time limit, is there not, Dennis Wilson? People have to act now. The 4th of January, you have an additional, I think, 30 or 60 days to get the funds in because some of these IRA accounts take a while to move. But yes, the initial application and declaration that you want to start the account needs to be signed by 1-4-23. 
Well, this is a golden opportunity. Go to wilson-financial.com, 800-696-9970, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial. My thanks again to Dr. Joan Chittister, the author of the brand new book called The Monastic Heart, 50 Simple Practices for a Contemplative and Fulfilling Life. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's Everyone Wednesday, and we have 30, or 30, we have three, why did I say 30? We have three copies of this uh, outstanding book in hardcover, by the way, I should point out. And uh, Crystal's taking your calls, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. One of the principles that really got to me uh, in this book, there's 50 of them, but you know, if I had to pick one, well, I'll make it two, okay? The first is silence, the practicing of the inner quietude, as she describes it, and how important it is to uh, have that moment before God where you don't come with your legal pad, you don't come with your to-do list. You don't come before the Lord and say, I've got a bunch of stuff to talk to you about, Lord. But rather, you come before the Lord and in stillness and simplicity, in silence, you let your soul just rest and kind of breathe in God's presence. It's amazing how when this happens, you get to the point where you begin to start doing things like, I'm going to put my time to better use in different ways because now I don't have all the distractions. And may I also, one of the things she talks about too, one of the, uh, the, the practices is choir. She says, singing praise. Praising God is one thing. Talking about how good and wonderful he is is another. But actually singing, I can assure you, having grown up the son of a choir director and a bunch of music educators in my family, one of the most amazing things about your singing voice is that even when your speaking voice is kind of messed up, you can sing even when you're not feeling well. And trust me, if you don't think you're a good singer, or maybe someone told you you weren't a great singer, you couldn't really carry a tune in a bucket, sing anyway, because that harmony or that melody will sound perfect in heaven. And as long as it does, you're in good shape. And that's the bottom line. We'll take a quick break. We've got another Everyone Wednesday giveaway to talk about on the other side of it. Keep it right here. The bottom line continues in just a moment. Life insurance will never replace the person you love, but that money can help you get through life when it feels impossible. When your life insurance claim is denied while you're already dealing with so much, you need someone on your side. Stephanie Cover of Coverlaw used to work for the insurance companies. She challenges and understands the way insurance companies think. Hire Stephanie to file a life insurance appeal while everything is still fresh in your mind. Don't let the insurance company get away with greedy behavior while you're in mourning. Stephanie Cover will do everything in her power to get you the financial protection which was promised to you as a beneficiary of the policy. The money from the life insurance proceeds can supplement your income so you can support yourself throughout the process of bereavement. Save Stephanie's number or call her now at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or you can fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash coverlaw. Stephanie Cover, she knows the other side. Well, welcome to another Everyone Wednesday here on the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and if you're just joining us, because this is the half hour where the entire network is all together, the rest of the bottom line is kind of like the Scarecrow and the Wizard of Oz. You know, part of me is over there, and part of me is over here. Uh, <laughs> but you can get it all on demand at thebottomlineshow.com or wherever you like to podcast. My Hope Now has it at myhopenow.com as well, plus some of the video that goes along with this. Um, if you just tuned in... Uh, 
go back and the bottom line rewind and check out my conversation with Dr. Joan Chittister and her outstanding book, The Monastic Heart, 50 Simple Practices for a Contemplative and Fulfilling Life is up at thebottomlineshow.com. We kicked off everyone, everyone Wednesday. Uh, the first half hour of the show, we're giving away three copies of Joan's book, and I would love for you to get one of those copies, 800-227-5278. Um, interesting story you might not have heard about, but let me give you the Reader's Digest version of this. Uh, this is a story that has been probably six years plus in the making, involving Oberlin College, a very well-known kind of liberal school in Oberlin, Ohio, and a story of, uh, well, not mistaken identity necessarily, but of defamation of character where the good guys win. Now, racism is never right. I have to say this first and foremost. It is never right. It, there's no reason ever for anyone to think that because of the color of my skin or because of, because of my ethnicity, I'm better than you or you're better than me. Especially in God's economy, I mean, we have one body of Christ. One Lord, one faith, one birth, right? Under the hood, you can check the scientific studies. There are scores of them. People are people. We have the same you know, characteristics, heart, lung, liver, all that stuff. And when it comes to, you know, different, quote unquote, ethnicities, having different physical makeups, or whatever, outside of skin tone, hair color, eye color, whatever, I mean, we basically are all the same. God just likes variety. In 2016... There was an event that happened at a small business that had been a big supporter of Oberlin College for many, many years. And it involved a couple of black students who had shown up at this local business. They were accused of theft. And what happened next is crazy. Now, here's the story. Uh, in 2016, Alan Gibson, the co-owner of a place called Gibson's Bakery, which had been, like I said, part of the campus culture at Oberlin College for years. They used to cater events, et cetera, et cetera. They had a really long history with Oberlin College. In 2016, there was a day where Alan Gibson, the co-owner of the, the co-owner of the son of uh, Gibson's Bakery, tackled a black male Oberlin College student who was suspected of stealing a bottle of wine from Gibson's Bakery. WKYC in Ohio reports that there were two other students there, a couple of women, who were with the young man, and they tried to intervene. The girls did. All three were arrested by police and later pleaded guilty to misdemeanor charges in the case. So, okay, you have a student who's in there, tries to shoplift a bottle of wine. The co-owner's son sees him out of it, starts running after him, tackles him to the ground. They call police. The girls try to break up the fight. Well, it wasn't really a fight. Just, you know, don't steal my stuff. And eventually when the police showed up, the students, all three of them, copped to the fact that they had committed a misdemeanor. And that was the end of it, right? Well, not right. What happened at Oberlin College was, well, um, Oberlin College went nuts. They went ballistic in terms of declaring war, so to speak, on Gibson's Bakery. After the students had copped to the fact that, yeah, this guy did try to steal a bottle of wine. Probably a dumb thing to do. Well, is a dumb thing to do. But then the students at Oberlin College said, wait a minute, they're being profiled unjustly because they were black. This business is racist. 
And we need to do something to stop the racism. Now, I'll be honest with you. If for some reason the young man had not taken the bottle of wine, and if the Oberlin College students who were there had said, hey, wait a minute, we didn't do anything wrong. Just because they pled guilty, I understand that a lot of young African-Americans have pleaded guilty to crimes they didn't commit just to get the police off their, their case. But in this case, the students are like, no, really, okay, he did it, it was a dumb thing, end of story. But on Oberlin College campus, it was a whole different enchilada. Basically, you had students, the student government, you had faculty involved. At one point, there was a college vice president and the dean of students printing up flyers and handing them out all over the college campus. Gibson's Bakery is racist. They attacked and profiled black students from Overland College, blah, blah, blah. Literally, the student senate passed a resolution declaring that they were going to boycott Gibson's Bakery because they were racist. So all of a sudden, Gibson's Bakery starts losing business because the students stop going there. But it wasn't just a couple of students going, hey, my best friend was at there and they accused him of stealing wine and he didn't do it, even if he did. And, uh, you know, that that's not right. No, Oberlin did on steroids here. A college vice president, the dean of students, handing out flyers, using school funding to print up flyers and hand them out. The student senate passing a resolution declaring that Gibson's bakery should be boycotted and was racist? Oh, gosh. I mean, I, I, you know, it's interesting. Someone asked me one time, what is it about the bottom line show that really kind of enthuses you and energizes you? I said, well, obviously, it's the people who listen and our faith and having a place to air things out like this and have conversation about this type of stuff. But I said, you know, quite frankly, if anyone is going to be upset about something, I really want to make sure that we have the ammunition, if you will, that we've got the story straight. So we have a good reason to be angry. This is outrageous. The fact that Oberlin College targeted this small business and basically put them out of business. I mean, they're still hanging on, but I mean, they lost a ton of business. So the bakery sued the school. They sued the school for defamation, for slander. In 2017, they filed a lawsuit. It finally went to trial in 2019 and they won. As a matter of fact, Lorain County in Ohio, where Oberlin College resides, and so is the business, uh, awarded the jury there, they awarded the business $44 million in compensatory and also punitive damages. <laughs> Needless to say, that's a lot of uh, legal fees. Lorna Gibson told WKYC, we lost so much business after the protest and we weren't getting business back, uh, I couldn't afford to keep the shelves filled. And then... The pandemic hit, it was a perfect storm. See, they filed the suit in 2017. The suit was, uh, they, they won in 2019. But then, of course, there was an appeal. And the appeal was, you know, Oberlin College saying, oh, wait, 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 wait a minute now. Oh, we're Oberlin College. Oberlin, I mean, we're Oberlin. We're woke and uh, these people are wrong and we don't believe it. And we stand by what we said. We're appealing. And so the case went all the way to the Ohio Supreme Court. Now, understand that this happened in 2016. The lawsuit was originally filed in 2017. 
The first verdict was handed down in 2019, then the pandemic hit. Gibson's has been hanging on by the hairs of their chinny-chin-chin all throughout the pandemic. And it wasn't until this past September that the Ohio State Supreme Court looked into the case and they said, you're right. You shouldn't have to pay $44 million, Oberlin College. You should have to pay $25 million, Oberlin College. So the award was lowered to $25 million. By the time you add in legal fees and interest and whatever, it's now a $36 million settlement for the school. The school eventually uh, wound up paying, and the total amount that they paid, including uh, legal fees, etc., came out to be $36 million. So you might be wondering, well, $36 million bucks. I mean, that's, that's a pretty nice payday for the business. But think of how much business they lost between the false mischaracterization of the business owners as racists. Losing business from the school. No longer having, oh, we're having a big uh, breakfast uh, meeting here. You know, it's the association of blah, blah, blippity, blah. Hundreds of people are coming in from all over. Oberlin's going to host it. And we've got Gibson's Bakery. Isn't this great? Our famous local Gibson's Bakery providing croissants and scones and breakfast and whatever. And that's a big boost to their local business. So then all the cool people who come to Oberlin, oh, well, you know, if you go to Oberlin, you got to go to Gibson's Bakery. You know, Well, not anymore. They win the judgment in 17, it's upheld in 19, and they get the original $44 million. Of course, Oberlin's not going to pay them. They'd rather starve them out if they could. Then the pandemic hits, and they can't literally, Lorna Gibson, the daughter of the founder, her dad and her brother, who are the ones who started the business, have both passed away since. But Lorna says, we're going to continue. She said, we've always been here. We've always treated people properly, and that's all we wanted, was just to be recognized for the fact that we treat people fairly. That's all we wanted from the start. We just want to continue our lives and keep the store going and keep serving the community. Of course, Oberlin College, finally, after trying to drag this small business into the ground for years, issued a statement after the Ohio State Supreme Court ruled against them. Quote, we are disappointed by the court's decision. However, this does not diminish our respect for the law and the integrity of our legal system. This matter has been painful for everyone. We hope that the end of the litigation will begin the healing of our entire community. Here's a tip, and I'm, I, I'll state the obvious here, even though you already know. If Oberlin College would like to start the healing, maybe they could have stopped the hurting. The fact that they got so caught up in this racist narrative. Oh, oh, three African-American students were at the Gibson's Bakery. Oh, oh, they were unjustly accused because we know they were innocent. They're college kids, they tried to steal a bottle of wine. It was a dumb thing to do. They admitted it, full stop. Misdemeanor, pay a fine, pick up trash for a day, whatever the deal is, they're done. But the college took this small little incident that they didn't have right and they magnified it and it wound up costing them $36 million plus the bad PR that they deserve. I don't know if Oberlin College ever gets over this one and quite frankly, I don't care. No, that wouldn't be right to say. I I hope they can rebuild their image as well. I hope they can use this as a learning experience. Would that we all learn from those times when we 
sin and repent. And isn't it nice to know that we have a heavenly father who allows for those kind of mistakes to repent and make things right. So good on you, uh, Dorsey's Bakery, Gibson's Bakery, rather. And thank you uh, for listening to this analysis, balance, and clarity segment of today's edition of The Bottom Line. As we continue, how does an organization like Oberlin College heal up from this horrible experience? Or what about Gibson's Bakery, for that matter? Uh, Glenn Dorsey, pastor and author, has a brand new book out that will help kind of put this in perspective. The book is called The Bulletproof Leader, Revealing, Realigning, and Restoring the Heart of a Leader. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Glenn joins me to discuss it coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment. But every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds ultrasounds per year and lasts at least 10 years. Now take that cost $15,000 and divide that by 2,500. Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. $25, $50, $100, it all counts towards saving babies' lives. kbrightradio.com. Hit the Preborn banner right now. Leadership. It's a word that for some people they gravitate toward and other people they kind of try to run from. But when you get right down to it, each of us plays a role in leadership, whether it's in our homes or our work, our work schedule, in our churches, and in those communities, and even in the neighborhood as well. Why is it that some leaders seem to just kind of keep pressing on and getting things done the way that they need to get done? And other leaders sometimes have a hard time uh, just you know, making it through. Uh, Glenn Dorsey is a pastor, he's a speaker, he's an author, and he's written a fascinating book that I, I think will be great help to all of us here in the Bottom Line Show uh, listening audience today. The book is called The Bulletproof Leader, Revealing, Realigning, and Restoring the Heart of a Leader. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Glenn Dorsey, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. So glad to be with you today. Let's talk about the issue of leadership because it seems to be in I don't want to say in short supply, but it seems like it's tougher and tougher to find people who really not only aspire to leadership roles, but then actually do them well. How do we define or how do you define leadership uh, in the modern culture? I define leadership, especially the bulletproof leader, as being someone whose character uh, is built around the true identity of that person being transparent, open and honest so that any charges brought against them have been diffused because of their integrity, their authenticity, and the trust that they have learned from their followers, mm-hmm. or earned rather from their followers. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting. I mean, the fact that it would be earned as opposed to something that was just kind of given or even learned. It seems as though there are more and more people who are falling victim to this, the, the, this lack of leadership, this lack of integrity, whatever you want to call it, because of the fact that it seems like they've got the quote unquote perfect persona, either on social media or in the boardroom or 
classroom, wherever they're, they're finding their leadership. But then it, it doesn't take a whole lot to knock them off of that course, doesn't it? Why is it that so many leaders these days have a tougher time being in public who they really are in private or, you know, not wanting to deal with their private life, just saying, pay attention to public me, private me isn't all that great. I think because of the demands and the pedestals that we place leaders on, hmm. it is intuitive in our human nature that we desire someone to be better than us, wiser than us, more gifted than us. And when we see some degree of form of success in a leader, we think that that carries over into their private lives. Mm-hmm. When actually, they're like Superman, the childhood hero. He could, bullets would bounce off of his chest. He could leap over buildings. But I, I learned something in the first original Superman that when someone swung at him, they ducked mm. or he ducked. That means he wasn't what he seemed to be. Right. And leaders today find it very difficult to allow themselves to air those private issues that they feel uncomfortable about. And actually there are some issues that go back to their childhood that carry over into their adult life, regardless of the level of their success. Hmm. And getting to the heart of those issues and finding healing for them is a, a big part of what your, uh, your leadership style and ministry is all about. Glenn Dorsey is with me today here on The Bottom Line. The Bulletproof Leader is the book Revealing, Realigning, and Restoring the Heart of a Leader. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, Glenn, oftentimes we think of people in leadership positions as saying, well, I'm in charge, I'm the leader, and I'm just going to go and people are going to follow me. You have a whole chapter in this book that, that stresses that leadership has more to do with really, truly loving and caring for the people you're leading rather than just saying, I'm going here, and if you want to get on board, you know, hit your wagon to me. Talk about why that's so crucial, I mean, to really love the people that you're leading. We can only love people as we have been able to love ourselves. A person in leadership that struggles caring for those that follow them have personal issues of loving themselves. That comes from having a a a bad self-image of themselves, again, that goes back to their childhood. And in most cases, the uh, leaders and entrepreneurs that I've dealt with over the last 25 years have one thread that is in common. And that is they have such struggles with feeling worthy of their success. They build in um, issues so that they will fail. They feel inferior. They come across as being arrogant and prideful when all the time they're insecure on the inside. And it boils Mm -hmm. down to one thing. That is, they had issues with their father in their childhood. They were never affirmed. They were never blessed. They never received affection nor public affirmation. Well, that that speaks volumes about uh, some of the crises that we're finding in leadership today, as Glenn Dorsey writes about in his new book called The Bulletproof Leader, Revealing, Realigning, and Restoring the Heart of a Leader, which we have up at thebottomlineshow.com. More and more, I'm always inspired, Glenn, and I'm sure you are too, uh, but when I hear about people who I I see, you know, the leadership role they're playing in society as an influencer, or maybe in the polar business world, and then when we find out that they have a really solid faith, not just kind of a giving a props to the man upstairs type of faith, but I mean, really living out their faith in the Lord. You maintain in your book, The Bulletproof Leader, that the only way you can really be bulletproof is to first and foremost foremost submit yourself to God's authority. Talk about uh, why that is so important and how many 
true leaders have embraced this concept. That's from it's good for their spiritual health, obviously, but it really does play out well in the marketplace. First of all, we have to understand that when we submit to God, we're given an example for those who are following along us how to submit to authority. Yeah. Authority is not something that we have earned. Authority is something that has been given. And when we submit to authority, it is an act of our will. It actually boils down to being an act of honor. Yeah. And when we submit to authority, we are telling those that are down line, I'm not self-sufficient. I don't know it all. I need someone else in this picture to help me to reach the level of success we're all trying to get together as a team. Mm -hmm. Interesting. It, it's, it's interesting to th think about that submission because oftentimes I hear a term like bulletproof and leadership and, and things like that. And that means I've got to be the one who's going to carry it all the way through. And, and yet you are encouraging us uh, to take that biblical model to heart. And one of the challenges that leaders do have to deal with, I mean, I was having this conversation just the other day with my bonus son and he's in, starting a new job. He's experiencing some success on there. And he was talking about how he hasn't had too many setbacks in, in the first couple of months on the job. And I said, that's good. Just make sure when you fail, you fail forward. And he said, well, I've never heard that before. I said, well, you, you are going, I mean, we all, we all have that. I mean, fail. It's not a question of if it's a question of when and how you respond to it. Talk about uh, Glenn Dorsey, talk about how a bulletproof leader learns to overcome failure. Failure is the greatest key to promotion that we have. I honestly believe that uh, no one will be successful without failure mm -hmm. because failure brings to us uh, certain benefits that we would not obtain if we had not failed. One of those being creativity. When we fail, it opens us up to different ways of thinking of how to obtain what we lost or failed at. There is the aspect of patience, of being able to endure and to overcome. Failure is learning how not to do something, to do something. There's not anyone that has not struggled with failure that has a great degree of success. I've yet to meet a, a leader that uh, did not fail. The, the issue with failure is only when we decide to quit. When we quit is when we have failed. Mm -hmm. So a setback, uh, something that you know doesn't go the way you planned or maybe even just a, an attack from the outside isn't necessarily failure as long as we're staying the course, as long as we're pressing on and continuing to listen to God's voice we should be listening for his cue. Should we not Glenn Dorsey in terms of, okay, it's time for this season to be over. Let's stop doing it rather than just saying, yeah, I had a bad year in the stock market. I'm done. Well, it's like uh, the wise man Solomon said, the wise, uh, the righteous followed seven times yet they rise again. Glenn Dorsey, <laughs> great, great, great wisdom today here on the bottom line. The book is called the bulletproof leader revealing, realigning and restoring the heart of a leader. We've got a link for the book up at the bottom line show.com. As we continue, we're going to talk about safe distances, evaluating relationships and why most successful leaders should be playing golf. If they're not playing golf already, we'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to the bottom line show. I'm Roger Marsh. It's everyone Wednesday. And today here during the first hour of the program, but we've had uh, great conversations with uh, Dr. Joan Chittister, uh, her book about the monastic heart. And we're giving those away until the top of the hour at 800-227-5278. Three copies of that book to give away. And then my current conversation, which we're taking, we're at halftime on this one here. Glenn Dorsey is the author of the book, uh, the 
that is, uh, I think, a great resource to have here for the start of the year. It's called the Bulletproof Leader, Revealing, Realigning, and Restoring the Heart of a Leader. Uh, we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we've got a copy of that book to give away right now. Crystal taking your calls at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And if you are in leadership, in your church, or maybe in your company. If you are a parent or a grandparent, you have leadership that you are engaged in in your home. And oftentimes we think of leaders who are the ones who kind of dictate everything that's going on and realize, well, wait, those are in chargers or those are dictators. Those aren't necessarily leaders. Leadership though, biblical, godly leadership involves so much more than just telling people what to do. The idea is that you know, we're human beings, feet of clay. We've got faults, failures, and feelings, just like everybody else. But if you're looking to conquer those flaws, if you want to cultivate a balanced life and embrace something, it all starts from what I believe is the most important word in leadership, and that is authenticity. Uh, Glenn Dorsey writes about that in his brand new book called The Bulletproof Leader. We have a copy up at thebottomlineshow.com and a copy to give away as well, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day. And Rabbi Schneider, Discovering the Jewish Jesus, coming up next. Of course, if you want to hear the rest of this interview, you can go to thebottomlineshow.com or find us at TuneIn, Stitcher, wherever, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. For those who remain on the network, my conversation with Glenn Dorsey continues talking about bulletproof leadership as The Bottom Line continues in just a moment. Glenn Dorsey is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, a Renaissance man, if there ever were one, or if there was one, I should say. Glenn's a renowned leader, international conference speaker, author, and pastor who conducts annual conferences designed to equip and train the next generation of leaders all throughout the United States. We're talking about his brand new book called The Bulletproof Leader, Revealing, Realigning, and Restoring the Heart of a Leader. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. During the break, Glenn and I were just talking about the fact that I, I know uh, just from learning about you, Glenn, that you are a very avid golfer and a very dear friend of mine who I've served in pastoral ministry with for many years, works in the real estate, commercial real estate world. And he picked up golf just to kind of make contacts, have meetings and stuff like that. Turns out he's pretty good at it. I believe he's a three handicap now. If that, And I, I, I say that like I know what that means, but I, uh, that maybe you can be impressed or maybe he's just blowing smoke at me and uh, he isn't. But I know I, I've always <laughs> wondered, what is the connection Glenn, between it seems like these guys for captains of industry, et cetera, et cetera. They're always, quote unquote, doing business on the golf course. But uh, you were sharing with me during the break that there there's a reason why golf is so important, not only to leaders, but to you in particular. To me in particular, because I had gone through a period where I was stressed and the subtlety to stress is you don't realize you have it. Mm -hmm. And I went to the doctor with a medical issue that had been plaguing me for about three months. And he wrote a prescription. And the prescription said, leave your cell phone at home two days a week, go play golf all day go home take a shower and get in your recliner and i laughed at him and i said why is it, are you kidding me <laughs> I said, no I'm, I'm telling you the truth he said you have high blood pressure and you're on the verge of having major heart issues hmm. if you do not rest your body and rest your mind he said you're too busy and you're always fueling your mind mm -hmm. you've got to get your mind on something else uh, that that will take your mind away from your business when i did that 
my physical ailment went away within two weeks. Wow. And my wow. wife now insists you need to go play golf. <laughs> <laughs> what a talk about a hall pass. I mean, my goodness, Len Dorsey's <laughs> wife now says, why haven't you gone out and played golf yet? Boy, every golfer who's listening to us right now is saying, where's this book? I got to get this book. Um, Glenn Dorsey, the Bulletproof Leader, Revealing, Realigning, and Restoring the Heart of a Leader. Link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, well, you have a chapter regarding your wellness. I mean, that's uh, let's talk about how that facet of leadership is something that uh, leaders don't do. We, we, we think about the guy putting 18 hours a day in. I, I, one of my pastor friends said at one point in his ministry, he said, talk about, I was burning the candle at both ends and I had a blowtorch aimed at the middle. You know, I mean, it was just, I was going and going and going until God opened the door for me to move. Talk about that, that, that wellness factor. I mean, the, the, I don't have to be on all the time. I, I'm going to actually going to be more beneficial as a leader by taking care of myself better. The, the danger of not paying attention to our health is that it's going to affect the things that are most precious to us what we think we are accomplishing, we're working very hard to lose. And that all, what good am I to my family if my health is broken? What good am I to a business mm -hmm. if I have lost my health? Right. A professor at the University of California of San Francisco did a survey with 242 entrepreneurs and he discovered that 49% of those recorded having a mental health issue daily. Hmm. That boiled down to depression, ADHD, or anxiety and most of that had a root cause of exhaustion hmm. so if we lose our wholeness it it will affect our effectiveness it will affect our relationships so the reason that god put sabbath in the bible is intentional mm -hmm. yes. we we must rest not only our body we must rest our mind hmm. i would imagine glenn dorsey you're probably hearing from and seeing a lot more leaders where that mental strain and drain is really becoming a big issue. Not that it wasn't in days gone by, but as long as you've got this little gizmo right here uh, and you can carry a computer around with you wherever you go, you've got access to your email and your phone and the internet and everything like that. And there's that feeling the other morning I was, uh, my brother was in town and we went to go get breakfast and I left my phone on the charger and we were out for an hour having a nice conversation. And I had to, I kept touching my pocket going, wait a minute, you know, there's something wrong here. I'm not, he mentioned something and I wanted to look it up. And I realized I can look it up when we get home. That'll, that'll be okay. That'll be fine to do. But it's amazing how the, the pressures of this world can really get to us. There's another aspect you write about in the Bulletproof Leader, uh, Glenn Dorsey, that I'd love you to talk about. And that is the fact that the old school way of leadership, management, cl climbing the corporate ladder or the ladder of success was find the right people, the right hands to shake, the right parties to go to, that type of thing. And you'll, you know, you'll make your way. As a faith-driven leader who is bulletproof, who can reveal you know, who they are and what their gift is, realign it, and then restore that heart, uh, you encourage people on a pretty regular basis to keep evaluating the relationships that you have, whether they're personal or professional. Talk about what you mean by that. It's one of the most crucial aspects of leadership. We're only as good as the people that we surround ourselves with. Amen. And there are levels of relationship that must be guarded. We must have intentional relationships and not just random relationships. Mm -hmm. I believe that one of the things that we need to question ourselves about is, is what does this relationship add to me or what does this relationship take away from me? Yes. Does it, does it add joy or grief? Mm -hmm. Does it 
is there honor? Is there honor being given to me? Uh, is there loyalty on the other end of it? What is the purpose of the relationship? Am I getting information from this person? Am I getting encouragement from this person? Am I getting laughter from this person? Am I getting correction from this person? All of these are, are relationships that add something to me or take something away from me. Jesus gave us that example with the multitude who followed for the fishes and loaves. He boiled down to the 500 that saw him leave. It went to the 70 that he sent out. It went to the 12 that stayed with him for three and a half years. And then from the 12 to the three. And each one of those, based on their access level, received different bits of information. So it is vitally important to us that that three and that 12 be intentional and we know what they're adding to us. And if they're taking something from us, we need to do something about that relationship. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I used to work for a guy years ago back in the Rolodex and, you know, phone directory days who had two separate files and one he called VIPs and one he called VDPs. I said, okay, I, I know what VIPs are, but what's a VDP? He said, well, a VIP is a very inspiring person. Someone that I benefit so much from. I love being around them. I could just soak it up and it's wonderful. Uh, the VDPs are very draining people and I keep them at arm's length. You know, I mean, if I need to, I do, but otherwise I realize this is going to cost me a lot. And I thought, boy, that was brilliant. I mean, it, it, it's, it's amazing how evaluating those relationships on a regular basis is, is so very important. Uh, Glenn Dorsey, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, the book is called The Bulletproof Leader, Revealing, Realigning, and Restoring the Heart of a Leader. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, Glenn, we got a couple minutes left in our time together, and you write about yeah. values in this new book, The Bulletproof Leader. I'd love for you to take a couple moments here and just kind of expand upon why prioritizing values is so important. And I think it's because so many people these days, I believe, don't really know what their values are. They think they do. You know, oh, I'm a Christian. Well, what does that mean? And they haven't really questioned. Talk about the prioritizing of values that you're talking about in this book. Mm -hmm. Prioritizing values is not sacrificing family, but it is always family. God first, of course, then family. Mm -hmm. And it is important for us to know that I am trustworthy. It is a, it is a boundary that we place around ourselves that brings value because I'm a trustworthy person. I become a value to someone. I value, uh, a value we want people in our relationships to know that we value them more than anything in our life that is prioritizing values letting people know where they are and what they mean to me and time is important for us to place value on time for family time for eating time for games but whatever the schedule is there's always time for family to be a part of the process, not to right. be separated that I come home to, but in many instances that I can take on the journey with me. Mm -hmm. People, people that are in corporate business, many of them miss family meals in the evening and they have learned later in life. They wished I could go back and have that evening meal. Right. It is a, it is a key point for families that, that, that spouse, that, that parent, be at home because it says you're more important to me than this corporation. 
You're right. more important to me than this church. Right. That's placing value where it belongs. That's prioritizing. And in business, there are opportunities where we can add family in the decision-making process. They can make trips with us. We can celebrate evenings together when we're away from home. So that's prioritizing values, in my opinion. Yes, yes. And it's a, it's a wonderful reminder and a perfect way for us to end our conversation today here on Bulletproof Leadership of what God expects from us, what he equips us to do, what he calls us to do, and some practical principles we can use to be better and uh, do better in the leadership area. Uh, Glenn Dorsey has been my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called The Bulletproof Leader, Revealing, Realigning, and Restoring the Heart of a Leader. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Glenn, thanks so much for being with us today for this outstanding book. Really appreciated the conversation here on The Bottom Line. So glad to be with you today. You have a great day. Great conversation. Nice to get to know Glenn Dorsey today here on the Bottom Line Show in this book called The Bulletproof Leader, Revealing, Realigning, and Restoring the Heart of a Leader. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And we have a copy of this book to give away. It's Everyone Wednesday. So, of course, everyone who calls 800-227-5278 is going to get a copy of this book. Um, well, we have one copy of the book to give away, but everyone's going to win something. How about that? 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, this is something, it's interesting. Uh, during the elections, whenever there's an election, whether it's a midterm or a, uh, a full national election, I always hear from bottom line listeners who will ask questions about who are you voting for. I put up Roger's recommendations. And then here come the calls. Here come the emails. You know, how can you support so-and-so candidate because of blah, blah, laundry list of things they've done wrong? And, you know, the, the answer I give is pretty much the same to anyone who will listen. I don't always respond to the emails directly, but I will address them here on the air. And the reason is just it takes too long to write to each person individually or writes. But I do know that a lot of people are listening and active and engaged. And so uh, if you've had one of those concerns recently, here's my response. When we look at leadership and we look at people who are running for public office, for example, and then we look at our pastors and our bosses and things like that, there's a good possibility that you work for someone or have worked for someone in the past whom you didn't get along with, you didn't like, or you didn't think they had the kind of character to be a leader. And you got it out because you like the job or you need the job or, you know, whatever it is. When it comes to a church, the church has to really reevaluate. Recently, the National Religious Broadcasters posted a series of articles on this. How do we take a look at whom we're calling into pastoral ministry? It seems like more and more it's getting a lot tougher to find men and women of integrity uh, who, who aren't going to be succumbing to temptations to, you know, uh, cook the books a little bit or, you know, take advantage of different people. I've got a harrowing story to share about that on the other side of this break. But when it comes to politicians, I mean, let's face it, this is, I, I use this analogy more than any other analogy around. And I, you know, it's not one that I, uh, it's not super deep. It's not really heavy, but I think it's appropriate when it comes to politicians. Got this a lot, got a lot of a response from people who said, why did you promote Herschel Walker over Raphael Warnock, for example? And some would say, well, Raphael Warnock's a pastor. You should automatically support him, to which I can easily respond and say, uh, any man of God who encourages the killing of preborn children in the womb and doesn't know that there are more African-American babies murdered in abortion in the U.S. than any other ethnicity, um, I don't think understands his calling as a pastor, let alone a Christian, or a Christian, let alone a pastor. Now, 
who was the other guy running? Herschel Walker. Laundry list of things that were wrong with Herschel Walker. But when you get right down to it, when you're voting for the people who are running for office, I'm glad to see more and more men and women of faith running for positions that are attainable. Uh, Amy Fan West with Concerned Women for America here in Orange County uh, had run for Congress before and didn't get what she was hoping to get. So she ran for Westminster City Council and won. I mean, she's on the Westminster City Council now. Uh, Emily Hibbert, another one who was running for a congressional seat in a fairly conservative district, didn't make it out of the primary. So she ran for, I think it was La Habra or something like that, uh, city council, and she won. Uh, it's phenomenal. Go get those positions. It's easy to support those types of candidates. But what happens when you have to really, uh, you, even if you hold your nose, you still have to, you know, you can't find the right leader. Well, I look at it this way. When it comes to politics, it's kind of a lot like fast food. If you're out on the road and you're driving down somewhere, you're going to get to somewhere and you're hungry and you need to satisfy that hunger. And your only choices are fast food restaurants. You pick the one that isn't going to do the most damage to your body. And I know that sounds like a cop out to some people. I'd rather sit out the election. Well, if you don't vote, then basically you're casting a vote for the person you didn't want the worst or the most. Here's the good thing about leadership, though. The point I'm making is Glenn Dorsey's book, The Bulletproof Leader, is important because it helps us as Christians learn to build a certain kind of resilience that says, yeah, I can handle a political campaign. I can handle uh, pastoral leadership. I can handle being a, a teacher, you know, who might get sued at any turn. We have to definitely, you know, you've got that personal public challenge to deal with, but, you know, there's so many unrealistic pressures and demands that a lot of people just say, you know what, I'm going to just try to get through the day and I don't want to hurt too many people or offend too many people, and that's it. If God's called you to leadership and God's called you to greatness, then by golly, you are going to be given an account for who you are, <laughs> to whose you are, uh, at the end of time. So uh, don't step away from that call to leadership that God has entrusted to you. Glenn Dorsey's book is up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we're giving away a copy today here on Everyone Wednesday, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. We'll take a quick break and we'll be come back a rather harrowing story of a young married pastor who's now facing up to 35 years in prison because he was not a bulletproof leader. We're going to talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Well, Dennis Wilson is with me today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, 800-696-9970 or go to wilson-financial.com. There are a lot of people who have been really taking a bath when it comes to stocks this year, stock market off 25% in some segments, but yet you have a new program that's really designed to help somebody in that situation earn some of that loss back. It's obviously designed to do exactly that. It's a very limited offer on a 16% guaranteed return on your account in an account that in the next two years can never go down. It is a great vehicle to help people who have lost money because of the way the market is. But there is a time limit, is there not, Dennis Wilson? People have to act now. The 4th of January, you have an additional, I think, 30 or 60 days to get the funds in because some of these IRA accounts take a while to move. But yes, the initial application and declaration that you want to start the account needs to be signed by 1-4-23. Well, this is a golden opportunity. Go to wilson-financial.com, 800-696-9970, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Everyone Wednesday here on the program, and this half hour we're giving away a copy of Glenn Dorsey's book called The Bulletproof Leader, Revealing, Realigning, and Restoring the Heart of a Leader. Got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. 
800-227-5278 is the number to get you through. And if you call and we've already given away the book, you're going to win something because it's Everyone Wednesday. Now, how do you bridge the gap between your personal and professional life, especially if you are in pastoral ministry? That's a question that a lot of churches have been, I mean, look at the mega churches, the Hillsong crowd and uh, Mars Hill many years ago and uh, David Platt's church is under the spotlight. There's so many mega churches right now that have this issue of leadership and integrity where the personal life of the pastor is somehow overshadowed by the great job they're doing professionally. And here's another case coming out of Minnesota, which has some special circumstances because it involves a pastor, and Minnesota has pastoral ministry laws. A married Minnesota pastor, who is also a father of three, is facing prison time and a large fine for allegedly having a sexual relationship multiple times with a teenager who was interning during a counseling session at the church. Pastor Nathan Van Alfred Luong, 36 years of age, engaged allegedly in a sexual relationship with his underage victim many times while he counseled her at Trinity Lutheran Church in Minnesota. Sleepy Eye, Minnesota, by the way. That's rather apropos. Under Minnesota law, members of the clergy can be charged with criminal sexual conduct in the third degree if a complainant is not their spouse and the sexual relation occurred during a meeting where the complainant or complainant rather sought or received religious spiritual advice aid or comfort from the perpetrator the law also makes it illegal for sexual relations to occur during a period in which the complainant was meeting with the perpetrator regularly to seek religious or spiritual advice and comfort Um, and consent is not a defense against this charge Uh, Pastor Luong was charged with one count of criminal sexual conduct in the third degree for having a significant sexual relationship with a victim between the ages of 16 and 17. That charge comes with a maximum sentence of 15 years in prison and a $30,000 fine. He's also charged with criminal sexual conduct in the third degree for during a religious advice meeting. Didn't know that law was there, but maximum five-year prison term, $30,000 fine or both. He's been charged with having a sexual relationship with this minor victim on an ongoing basis during a time when he was supposed to be providing spiritual counseling and care. Um, This is a guy who, unfortunately, was a girls basketball coach and everyone said, married father, got three kids, he's fine. He had just started a new position at Faith Lutheran Center Church in Dodge Center, uh, Minnesota, And, well, that's not happening now. Um, Apparently, uh, the Christian Post reached out to the church. Their representative declined to comment. An individual described as Witness 1 told police that Witness 2, quote, provided a lot of details, some of which were very disgusting. Uh, They were intimate in the defendant's office on a youth trip to Montana uh, in the youth room. Uh, apparently the young lady uh, worked at the church office, had an office of her own inside his office, and worked at the church from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. Um, first clue that there was a problem here was that the youth pastor, who had a teenage girl as his intern, also had a mattress in his office. 
And the reason was, well, sometimes we do lock-ins at the church or sometimes I'm tired. I just need a place to rest. No one saw that as a problem, apparently, at the church. Uh, so much to dive into here. Uh, do a little analysis, balance, and clarity on this case. But please be in prayer for everyone who is involved in youth ministry and anyone who's considered getting into ministry, but especially working with young people. There are a lot of hurting people in the world, both in the teenage years and the youth pastor ministry world. And you have to believe and understand how serious the pain this guy must have been going through if he was willing to throw away his wife and three children, his whole marriage, just for a couple of quickies with an intern, simply because only God knows. We're going to talk a little bit more about why this type of thing happens in just a moment as the bottom line continues. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson, Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But the first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment. And the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, you know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now. They've had the ultrasound. You've seen the picture. You've heard the heartbeat. And you think, wow, how can I bless someone else. Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk of it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says preborn. Cute little baby there wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, that's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn, make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year, so give a gift right now. Welcome back to this Everyone Wednesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. This half hour, we're giving away Glenn Dorsey's book, the uh, not the monastic heart, The Bulletproof Leader, Revealing, Realigning, and Restoring the Heart of a Leader. We've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, take a look at this story of a married pastor, a father of three, 36 years of age, formerly had served as the youth pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Sleepy Eye, Minnesota, apparently had just started a church, uh, position as pastor at Faith Lutheran Center Church in Dodge Center, Minnesota, when a couple of witnesses came forward and said that one of the witnesses was a teenage girl between the ages of 16 and 17 who had an office inside the youth pastor's office and they routinely had sexual relations. The pastor is facing up to 35 years in prison and the possibility of $90,000 in fines. Now, there are certain things that happen in youth ministry, and one of the, I'll never forget, it was a leading pastor whose name I will not tell you because he's had his own share of struggles with uh, infidelity. But we were at a youth conference one time, and he said the most important thing for us as a church is to not hire a youth pastor or youth workers who are trying to get their unmet love deeds fulfilled. And I looked at him rather curiously, and he, he looked at me again and said, did you hear what I said? And I told him. He said, you find a lot of people are drawn to youth ministry because they really didn't have a great 
junior high or high school experience, or maybe they had a tough upbringing and that's a part where emotionally they're kind of stuck. And so putting these people in positions of leadership, youth group leader, Bible study, small group leader, even sometimes youth pastor is a recipe for disaster. Brothers and sisters, there is healing from the hurts that have happened in your life. There are moments that happen to you, not necessarily your fault, but that sin leaves a scar. To think that Nathan von Alfred Luong could reach age 36, convince a woman to marry him, raise three children with her, and still carry on this kind of sexual indiscretion boggles the mind. But rather than point the finger at him, he will receive the just punishment, we believe, by the court of law, and ultimately he has to answer to God for this. The question we have to ask is, what kind of relationship does he have with the Lord that would prevent him from recovering from this, from experiencing healing from this, from using this, whatever trauma led him to traumatize a young lady? How can God use it? Romans eight twenty eight very clear. In all things, God can work all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So the question we have to ask is when somebody does engage in sin like this, are we going to be so quick to just basically discard them? Or is there healing and hope? There's a lot of work ahead to get to that point. But do you believe that God can redeem a seemingly unredeemable pastor like this and heal the wounds of the young girl that he abused? I believe there is hope if there is a willing heart that says I'm willing to be healed and willing to ask for forgiveness. That is the good news of the gospel, and that's the bottom line.